Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, we have special guest, Melissa Ryan. Um, Listeners, I can't tell you how humbled and honored I was to finally meet Melissa Ryan. I've been following her newsletter for some time, following her work for a while. And when it comes to helping us think more clearly about mis- and dis- and malinformation, Melissa Ryan is perhaps one of the best folks out there to be following. Melissa Ryan has spent more than a decade working at the intersection of politics, media, culture, and technology. Today, she uses her expertise to help people, policymakers, and institutions combat disinformation, extremism, and online toxicity as the CEO and chief strategist of Card Strategies. She's going to tell us a little bit today about her journey into this work and what we can do in the field of education to really understand why it matters and how we need to be having better conversations about the ways in which online hate speech has real world implications. In the show notes, you will find resources to also follow Melissa's incredible newsletter. I cannot advocate strongly enough for how great of a resource this is. Enjoy our conversation and thanks for listening. As the author, editor, curator of uh, what I would say is one of the world's very best newsletters, and I am a big newsletter geek, um, and you're also the founder of Card Strategies. Of course, we'll link to your newsletter, we'll link to all of your stuff in the show notes. You are practically as close as we can come to a modern day superhero. So how is it that you came to be one of the leading experts in combating extremism, online toxicity and disinformation? Tell us your superhero origin story, please. Yeah, um, I am not sure that that you could call me a a superhero, but uh, I, I really am flattered and greatly appreciate that. Um, So my background is in uh, digital organizing for political campaigns and nonprofits. And um, so it's kind of funny, like twice I have written myself into a career. Uh, I got into politics through blogging uh, in the early days around the buildup to the Iraq war. Um, And from that, you know, got into working on on digital organizing. And uh, the thing that I was always um, uh, particularly good at uh, was online communities. Uh, how do you bring them together? How do you motivate them to do what you want them to do for you know your boss or your clients? And I think that experience really helped me see uh, pretty early on that something had gone just terribly wrong on the internet. Uh, you know, you think about the buildup to uh, Donald Trump's campaign. Uh, obviously, the fact that that Trump was just everything he was doing was blowing up online. Everything that the left was doing was falling flat. And also the rhetoric was getting terrifying. I mean, you think about the stuff now that's just commonplace that people say. Um, and, you know, you were really starting to see more openly misogynist, more openly anti-LGBTQ, more more openly racist rhetoric just sort of like creep into to the discourse. And it was alarming. Um, so I started taking notes pretty early on. And, and honestly, my thinking at the time was, well, we're going to be fine. Uh, but in Europe, this is going to be a real issue. And, and frankly, there might be some work uh, about having some expertise on this because it's going to be a big issue in, in European elections. And when I but when I really it really crystallized for me uh, was during one of the Clinton Trump debates. And I tweeted something 
super innocuous about him standing behind her. And for whatever reason, it took off. So like a couple of celebrities retweeted it and a bunch of Democrats retweeted it. And that was fine. Uh, but it ended up the next day, uh, you know, MAGA and Trump's minions sort of discovered it. And uh, the amount of harassment that I got from that one tweet was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Um, and I'm someone who's been a woman on the internet for a long time. So online harassment is unfortunately not something that's, that was new to me at that point. Um, and at that point it was just like nothing I'd ever seen before. Uh, they found all my social media profiles. Uh, they left messages, uh, at my workplace that I should be fired, which was hilarious because I work for a democratic consulting firm. Uh, they found my husband's name and I realized that it was strategic, you know, that it wasn't just random. So I traced back to where the tweet had been and it was on the Donald forum. It was on a now defunct white supremacist blog. It was on Twitchy. And it was like, oh, okay, this is a, a new understanding of like how how this is, um, what's happening. Uh, obviously, we did not win the 2016 election. Uh, and at that point, I decided that I had to make this, um, I had to make this my job, that I couldn't like do politics that I had before uh, until I understood what was happening. Um, and so I did what I'd done before. Like the way that I started becoming an expert was that I started a newsletter. Um, and the idea was, um, you know, I, there are, uh, my colleagues are all trying to figure out what's going on. As I'm learning, I'm going to write about what I'm learning and that might be helpful to them. So I think the first one went out to like 250 people. And literally I just put a call on my Facebook page, like, hey, if I start a newsletter, would you read it? Um, and, uh, you know, five years later, we've got over 15,000 readers because it turns out a lot of people were really interested in what was going on. Um, and from that, the Card Strategies Consulting Firm came out of it. So now I work with a lot of the same NGOs uh, and political clients that I would have before, only now I'm helping them deal with this horrible new world so that they can go back to doing the work that they do best. And I'm so thankful for you in doing that work, because as you say, the amount you know, that really hateful rhetoric has accelerated online. Yeah. Uh, it, it can't be underestimated. And what I find from your newsletter is that um, you're sort of saving the rest of us a lot of emotional labor in, I think, you know, you often point me to news that really needs our attention and our focus. Um, and, and some of the pieces that perhaps aren't getting the attention that they deserve but you're saving me having to do all of that kind of trolling for myself. Um, and, and I kind of wonder in your own training, in your own education, you know, is this a matter of you being self-taught too? Just, you know, what I would imagine is a tremendous amount of emotional work to be focused on what is really some of the, the most horrible stuff happening on the internet. How did you learn to deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I find that the more I understand something, the less afraid of it I am. Um, and that's sort of the um, attitude that I've always taken into it. Like, I wanted to understand what was happening online. I wanted to understand that, you know, selfishly, I wanted to understand, you know, the the motivation behind the harassment that I experienced over something totally innocuous. Um, I think, you know, there's also, I think, a certain amount of privilege that comes with it. Um, I'm white, I'm economically okay. Like I'm, I'm a target of these folks to some extent, but certainly not to the extent that other communities are. So I think it's a little, a little easier, um, in some respects to sort of do that research and, and do that work. 
I, I appreciate you pointing that out. And again, you know, you mentioned earlier that there is a strategy to all of this, which I, I think is important to focus on. And over a year ago, you were a guest on a show that also does a good job of talking about that, the, the strategy and being aware that this is not just like random chaotic hate, but it is very organized. Um, that show is There Are No Girls on the Internet, hosted by Bridget Todd. I'll link to that show in the show notes as well. On your episode, you talk about how sometimes we underestimate who is affected by disinformation and hate speech. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk us through an example of how disinformation is in spaces that some people may not necessarily anticipate anticipate it being in. Yeah, it's such a, a good time to ask that question. Um, first of all, I'm such a that Bridget is who I fangirl over. Um, I love it whenever I get to be on that podcast. Um, but we're in a moment where so many people are experiencing extreme online and offline harassment simply for doing their jobs. So if you think about like school board members, teachers, uh, uh, doctors and nurses who work in hospitals, election workers, um, and, you know, they're having real threats, not just uh, real threats to their safety. People are showing up to their workplaces, not just saying things about them online. Um, so you can't you can't escape it, even if you don't have a Facebook account, but you work at Boston Children's, for example, you're now vulnerable because of disinformation and, and because of harmful speech online. Yeah, uh, actually, Bridget Todd just did a recent episode on doxing that kind of goes into how much of that data is accessible. I had no idea. And uh, yeah, I, I, I know a number of educators who they're locking down their social media accounts. Yeah. They're having to worry about that in a way that that never would have been a concern a, a decade ago. Um, your your newsletter, again, for folks who maybe are not yet subscribed, what are you doing? Subscribe. It's also archived on Medium. And one of the back issues that really resonated with me was entitled Five Ways to Fight Fascism. Again, I'll put that in the show notes. And I just want to quote from that issue. You wrote, quote, document and track far right activity in your community. I know from experience that a lot of folks have this information in their heads, but I don't see many efforts to write it down and make it publicly available for reporters and activists. Keeping a record can be extremely useful, end quote. Could you say more about the importance of documentation and maybe talk about um, you know, how much of this activity is quite readily out there in the open for us to document? Yeah, I mean, I really, this really was hit home for me uh, when I wrote an article for The Progressive uh, for the first time about far-right organizing. And I talked specifically about Matt Shea, who was a state senator here in Washington state, uh, who eventually got evicted for being a terrorist. But it took forever uh, uh, before the uh, the state legislature even even evicted him. And so I wanted to um, sort of talk about all of the, the terror that he had you know, used his his uh, power in office to create. And it was fascinating to me talking to local activists, talking to local journalists, just talking to folks who didn't consider themselves political, just how much knowledge they had um, about, about Matt Shea, about his associations, about his history. And uh, when I wrote that specifically about five ways to fight fascism, A, I was getting a lot of questions from readers 
Uh, but I was also hearing from readers who lived in places where, you know, these fights were becoming very local and, you know, their school board meetings had become places where they didn't feel safe anymore. Um, and so we know there are more and more far right elected officials and, and uh, folk, uh, far right community leaders. But there's not really been a lot of effort, I think, to just sort of document all that for, for a town or, or a county or a community. And I think that's valuable for a few reasons. I think it's valuable for organizing purposes, uh, for folks who want to you know, fight back against this stuff in their own backyard. I also think there's a real valuable, you know, there's a lot of press stories in that that I think you know, you've got this decimation of local media. So those stories aren't getting written in the way that they would be. So A, it gives you a chance to sort of tell your community story. It also gives you a chance to potentially uh, elevate that in media if you want a media story out of it. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the power of just those local school board elections and how, um, you know, I, I've been seeing, again, more, more folks with uh, very queerphobic, transphobic views going, uh, you know, and, and trying to get that, that position of power, which can be quite dangerous. Mm -hmm. And even just paying attention to, I, I think maybe, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but grabbing the screenshots, documenting when they are making those comments on social media, perhaps having those receipts. And I wonder from your experience, I try to do as much reporting of, of those, those sort of tweets. Is that useful? Is it a waste of my time? Um, you know, how, how useful do you think that that function of just reporting is? I mean, reporting to the platforms, <laughs> it's such a crapshoot. Uh, you know, basically what the platforms do is they do nothing. And then when there's a big PR, PR story, they do huge takedowns. Um, and I'd like to think that evidence that people have been submitting for years helps in those moments. But I understand that it's hard. Uh, but I do think it's important for for voters and for citizens to understand, you know, what these folks are saying, what they feel comfortable saying online uh, and the power they hold in their community. Uh, you never want to just amplify uh, right wing hateful hate speech uh, that, that people say, but I think it's important that citizens, you know, know what these folks are saying, the power that they hold over the communities uh, and what the context is for that. Absolutely. Um, for young learners, again, of course, the audience of this show, educators will be interested in thinking about how they can encourage that next generation of, uh, of those who want to go into digital politics, digital organizing. Um, what are some steps that they could take or some resources that maybe young learners might want to explore so that they can be thinking about developing the skills that you've fostered? Uh, well, probably not what a lot of uh, educators would tell would encourage students to do. Um, you know, I, I would encourage if you want to get good at digital organizing, it probably makes sense to be very familiar with digital platforms. So I'm the person who will be like, yeah, spending time on TikTok and YouTube and, and Instagram, there's actually a lot of value to that if you want to go into uh, digital politics. But I think it's also important to think about uh, how to build communities, uh, how to motivate folks, you know, not just like how to... Um, uh, knowing what's what's trending on TikTok is great, but understanding what motivates folks who watch TikTok videos to take action or who make talk, TikTok videos to take action. Uh, the other thing, and it's, it's funny, I tell my teenage nephew all this because I was terrible at math, uh, but having basic understandings um, of, of mathematics and, and metrics uh, so that you can measure your work. I think that's such an important part of uh, digital work in particular is being able to measure what you did online. 
That's really fascinating. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering that part about motivation, do you feel like that's almost a, like a general human psychology of, of us being motivated by the same types of emotions? Or do you think that's a generational thing? Yeah. I mean, what I always found is, you know, the, the key to organizing people online is figure out what they, what they want to do. Uh, and at key times, you know, give them something to do. And I mean, you've probably felt this yourself when something bad happens, you know, on the, on the Dobbs decision day, you know, people wanted to do something. And so like abortion funds were ready to go and fundraisers for abortion funds were ready to go and volunteer actions were ready to go. So the key is so often just having something ready to do, ready for folks to do. So when that moment hits, you're directing them in, in constructive and positive ways. That's, that's, I think, maybe a great thing for educators to look at is just different campaigns that have happened online and looking at kind of um, how they evolved. Sabrina Joy Stevens was on this show a few episodes back, and, and actually she kind of gave you a shout out and talked about how much she's learned from you and how she oh, works. I love her so much. She, she's absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm wondering if there are, you know, if you were going to point to a few different accounts to follow or campaigns that are kind of stuck in your memory as really powerful examples of, of building that wave. Like, you know, I'm thinking right now of even how the, the White House account on Twitter, you know, everybody seems to be talking about that today. Um, yeah. it, it has a much different tone. It has, I'm, I'm from New Jersey, so it's got somebody from New Jersey behind it now. They're taking a little bit of a different tenor to things. Um, but are there different campaigns that you would say, this is one that's a great example of really um, helping to um, just generate a lot of dialogue, get people thinking and talking and build momentum for a community? Well, let me start by saying that every time I have had the privilege of working with teachers through AFT or NEA, I have been blown away uh, because teachers are such passionate advocates online. And it's, it's actually hard to get teachers to talk about themselves uh, because they will talk so much on their student, about their students and put them front. So they're great storytellers. But it's it's difficult oftentimes to get educators and teachers to you know make themselves the hero of the story and not the students. Um, yeah, I think the White House has been having a lot of fun online. Um, everybody is talking about the Fetterman campaign, uh, but I have to say the way he um, is able to drive conversation and also make his opponent like lose his mind every day online uh, that has been one of my my favorite things to watch recently. Um, you know, I think uh, the the one for me that's always is um, Black Lives Matter, which is, you know, at this point, God, almost a decade old, but just the way that they have been able to tell stories online, the way that they have been able to build community and, and drive action is, is just a, a continual source of inspiration to me to this day. Thank you again for, for pointing that out. That's a great example, I think, and, and many educators will appreciate the so many different angles to take in, in terms of tracking that back and looking at its evolution. Um, lastly, there will be listeners who I'm sure subscribe to your newsletter and they want to maybe say thanks to you for the work that you do. What are some ways that others can support your efforts? Uh, sure. I'm, um, I, I have a Patreon, uh, which I, you know, I guess all the, all the cool kids or the not cool kids have a, have a Patreon. Um, and if you become a member, you get bonus links. Uh, every week, uh, just because there's so much uh, news reporting on this that it can't all fit into the newsletter anymore. Uh, you can also uh, follow me on Twitter uh, at Melissa Ryan. Um, and honestly, 
I, you can reply uh, to any newsletter that I write. Um, I, I love hearing from readers. It's, it's my favorite thing. It's where I get story ideas. It's where uh, I get clued in on what people are interested in and what's keeping them up at night. So, you know, always feel once you've subscribed, feel comfortable dropping a line and saying, hi, I read everything. I respond to most things. Uh, and I really appreciate that. And that's kind of the story of, of how you are here. I can't tell you how much I appreciated that. Um, I was totally blown away. So it's, it is true, listeners. Um, I, I responded to your newsletter. You responded to me. It's been a, a real privilege to finally meet you. Thank you so much for, again, the work that you are doing. And it's, it's a really crucial reminder that, uh, again, sometimes I feel like I hear people say, oh, you know, that's just talk online. But of course, that has real world implications. And so paying attention to it matters. And um, as you've pointed out, paying attention to the strategy of what's going on is, is super important too. Well, thank you so much for having me. Listeners, thank you so much for generously giving us your time today to learn all about the resources discussed in this episode. Please head over to the show notes. I'll see you next Thursday.